And um, if you'd like to be turning to, back to Mark chapter 4, uh, Mark chapter 4, verse 35. Uh, if someone gets there in one of the church Bibles and call out a number, that's helpful. If you're here and you're a JF, there is a sheet for you this morning. Um, so if you want to stick your hand up, Graham and John have got one. I can see Ben's down here. I don't know if he got one, so there's a sheet for the guys in JF. Stick a hand up, saves me naming and shaming you. If you're an adult and you think, I find it blooming hard to concentrate on the sermon each week, I'd love some pictures and some questions to help me think, put your hand up. I've done 25. I haven't seen 25 hands go up. So I do take a sheet. Well, Andrew's already prayed as we come to God's Word. I wonder how you've been doing this week in terms of your fears. I woke up at 5.30 in the morning on Thursday. It wasn't um, excitement about the election that, that brought me to consciousness. It was this thought. If I was a terrorist and I wanted to make a massive impact in the UK, I would do an attack on the morning of a general election at a major railway station during rush hour. And I was just about to get on the train to Waterloo. That's where I was going to be in a couple of hours' time. You know, the guy who'd let off the bomb in Manchester at the Manchester Arena, the, the three men who'd mown down people with a hired van and then hacked people to death with kitchen knives, they, they'd won in my heart. They'd achieved what they wanted. Terror. Fear. And then for many people, they, they woke up on Friday morning and, and fear came again, didn't it? A hung parliament. What's going to happen? We need strong government and we, we don't appear to have it. They were afraid that the economy is going to nosedive. Afraid that the, the pound will lose value. Afraid that we'll be weak in Brexit negotiations. Isn't it a week where there's just a lot of fear going around? The buzzword that we need is certainty because we're just a little bit scared about life. Now fear affects all people. It's one of our most powerful emotions. What are you afraid of? That the chaos of our world? The evil that means you just want to know when your kids are going to get home, however old they are? The constant threat of major illness? The, the finality of death? What are you afraid of? And fear can control us, it can consume us, it can destroy us. Not just the fear of what might happen. Often people are just afraid of, well, other people. What will they think of you? How they might treat you? That you might not be good enough? The singer Lily Allen had a number one hit. I've got a, a picture of her here a few years ago with a song called The Fear. It's a song that laughs at most of the things people place their security in. Their bank balance, their car, their friendship group, their, their house. She mocks the way that people are so self-centered, so, so obsessed about the way we look and what we have, when none of those things provide the security that we're looking for in life. If they did, we wouldn't be so afraid. And in the chorus, she sings this, I don't know what's right and what's real anymore. I don't know how I'm meant to feel anymore. When do you think it will all become clear? Because I'm being taken over by the fear. Most of us spend most days at one time or another, being afraid of something. Afraid of the future, afraid of people's reactions, afraid of what will happen in our families. Now, Jesus Christ is God's antidote to fear. 
In fact, he's the only antidote that exists to fear. And the passages we're looking at in Mark's gospel over the next two weeks, actually, bring in contrast faith in Jesus and the reality of fear in our lives. Next week, we're going to see faith in Jesus in the face of major illness, in the face even of death. And Jesus does everything in these passages to demonstrate that that trusting him in the face of your fears is actually the most rational thing you can do. It's a thing that makes the most sense. What we're going to see this morning, you can trust him with your fear in a world of chaos. He will give you certainty. Theresa May might not. And you can trust him with your fear in a world of uncontrollable evil. He has defeated evil. He will rid the world of evil. But I'm confident until Jesus walks the earth again in judgment that the terrorism we've seen this week will be in the news for the rest of my life, week in, week out, somewhere in the world. So so let's see how Jesus deals with our fears. Here's the first thing. I want to urge you this morning, whoever you are, whatever you make of Jesus, here's what you need to do if you're afraid. Trust the king of creation in the storms. Trust the king of creation in the storms. Look down at Mark 4.35 with me again. That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. Now, you can imagine one of those rescue programs. We all love doing this, can't you? I used to love watching 999 with Michael Burke. Some of you are old enough to remember. You remember 999 with Michael Burke? You can see Michael Burke. He almost took pleasure in retelling the story in a slightly morbid way. How do you describe this one? It all started as a quiet boat trip after a long day's preaching. Now, now I used to have a 17-foot boat, um, and when it got slightly choppy in the sea off, off Wales, I was terrified. I'm no sailor. But one of the things we know about the disciples, in fact, one of the only things we know about James and John and Peter and his brother Andrew, they were fishermen, experienced fishermen. They knew what was going on. In fact, the details that we have in this story, the other boats, the cushion, the, the Jesus' head on that cushion, the pillow, it, it probably shows what we have is an eyewitness account from the Apostle Peter who's there in the boat. And with the sun setting on a perfectly calm scene, the boat drifts out into Lake Galilee, and we have Michael Burke assuring us, Peter, James, and John know Lake Galilee well. They've been fishing on it all their lives. But the storm they faced that evening was clearly nothing like they'd met before. And what do we read? Verse 37. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. This isn't just a sort of, it got a bit choppy. The word literally is whirlwind. Lake Galilee is known for them. that The wind whips down the hillsides and onto the lake and suddenly you're in the midst of a storm that you can't control, very localized and very dangerous. And what did the disciples do? Verse 38, Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Jesus could be very tired, couldn't he? But, But have you ever tried to sleep? in an open boat, as it pitches from side to side, and literally the water's coming in over you. I tell you when you can sleep. Do you you know when you sleep well? When you're not afraid of anything. Jesus is sadly asleep because he knows he's totally in control. But but that's not the way the disciples are feeling about the situation. They're they're having this massive flap attack. 
They've been in storms, but, but now they're facing conditions that are out of their control. Where do you go? Where do you go? Where do you go when you feel afraid? When you're in a situation you can't control? Well, these disciples head to Jesus for one reason. Their lives are at stake. It's all hands on deck. It's all good and proper, isn't it? Watching Jesus heal other people. Talking to those who've gone through major illness and trusted in God. But, but suddenly it's got a lot more personal for these disciples. They're in the boat with him. And they're going to die soon. So they shouted at him, don't you care? We're all going to drown. Don't you care? It's a question that, that people often ask God when, when the wheels come off life. Don't you care? They, they cry out in their helplessness. Partly it's a genuine question. Partly it's more of an accusation. Don't you care? And Jesus is God's answer to that question. In fact, Mark has already shown us how much Jesus cares. We've seen the Son of God walking the earth with compassion. We've seen him reach out and and touch a leper, taking on his uncleanness, touching someone who, who wouldn't have been touched for years in love. We've seen him draw to himself the outcasts of society, people hated by the religious establishment. No, Mark has shown us Jesus cares very, very much indeed. He is the one who's come to love his people. That's what we need to do when we're feeling that life is out of control and and maybe God doesn't care. Not look at our circumstances, but but look at the person of the Lord Jesus. Because you need to know from the start that life following Jesus, God doesn't promise you a life without storms. He doesn't promise you a life of ease. Christians suffer illness. Christians die in natural disasters. Christians are subject to terror attack. Christians experience actually a lot of problems simply because they're Christians. Life will have storms if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. But in the Lord Jesus, God has shown that he cares very deeply. He's drawn near to us. He's lived among us. He's suffered for us. He's died for us. Now, my problem is this. Sometimes, miraculously, I really do care about other people. But often, I can't do anything about it. I'm helpless. But but Jesus is very different. Because the next minute of the disciples' lives must have been mind-blowing, mustn't it? Verse 39, he got up rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. If you think that's a sort of an everyday occurrence, I suggest the next time you're on a channel, cross-channel ferry and it's a bit choppy, you know, nip down the back and have a crack at it yourself. Just don't check, if the, just check that no one else is watching when you do it. He rebuked the wind and the waves. And it was completely calm. There must have been a a stunned silence. The the word rebuked used here is the the word you'd use to tell off a small child. That's how Jesus treats a storm. He he tells it off like you would your toddler. The thing is, with Jesus, he's got much more effect on the wind and the waves than I have on my toddler when he tells it off. But if the disciples think the storm's over, they're completely wrong. Because Jesus has a question for them that actually increases the turmoil. It comes in verse 40. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? 
Now, if this was the first time we've met Jesus Christ, you might think that's a bit harsh. It's a storm, Jesus. That's why they're afraid. Well, why do you say do you still have no faith? But so far in Mark, we've seen Jesus demonstrate that he has total control in every environment he's found himself in. Whether that's telling paralytic people to get up and walk and them getting up and walking. Or whether that's commanding evil spirits out of people. Whatever Jesus does, whatever he says, it happens. You see, Jesus' life has shouted to the disciples, here is the Lord God on earth. Trust him. But, but they don't trust him. Did, did you notice the three key questions in our passage? In verse 38, the disciples asked Jesus, don't you care? Then, then in verse 40, Jesus says to the disciples, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And here's the third question. It shows the disciples' problem in verse 41. They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. You see, they're scared by the storm. They're terrified by Jesus. Literally, they fear with a very great fear. Mark wants to understand, these are men terrified by what they've just seen. Now, my wife, uh, Boo, has culturally improved me over the years. I now like cultured French cheese and classical music. And I've, I've reciprocated in this process. She now likes curry and Arnold Schwarzenegger films. <laughs> and there is a glorious moment in the high culture film True Lies where Arnie's wife has just witnessed him dispatch 20 terrorists single-handed. And she suddenly realizes that she's not married to a computer salesman, but rather to a one-man army. And she simply says, I've married Rambo. <laughs> and that's, that's the emotion of these disciples. <laughs> They're in the boat. And suddenly, this teacher, this healer, they, they've seen him do something that is utterly extraordinary, speak to the waves and the wind, and instantly, it's as calm as a mill pond. That's the awesome power of Jesus. It's not, it's not Jesus meek and mild, is it? It's Jesus so powerful that his mates are totally terrified of him. Terrified of what he can do. Who is this man? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And if the disciples had thought back to their Old Testaments, they'd have known. Psalm 89 verse 8 tells us, O Lord God Almighty, who is like you? You are mighty, O Lord, and your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. Who is this man? Do you see Mark doesn't answer the question there for us? It's actually the question that's at the heart of the, the first half of Mark's gospel. He doesn't answer it because he wants us to ask it of ourselves. Who do you say Jesus is? Because Jesus won't just fit into a, a box labeled good teacher or impressive healer. He, he's the one who demonstrates that he is the Lord God of creation himself. Now, our, our culture believes that it can control the world, doesn't it? Now, that's, that's what people are saying. They're, they're trying to reassure you this week. Politi politicians, we can give you certainty. We can provide stability. You can be in control. It's why whenever there's a natural disaster, like those floods in 
Cumbria or the earthquake in Japan. We always have to find someone to blame, don't we? Why why didn't you tell us sooner? How how come it happened? There has to be someone to blame. Because if there's no one to blame, well, we're not in control. But the thing is, we're not in control. It's stupid to think that we're in control of our lives. I mean, I, I don't know about you, I can't even control my bowel movements as I get older, let alone how I'm going to feel tomorrow. We're constantly out of control. Can, can you control how you're going to feel? Look, let's, what, why don't we do an experiment? Well, you can answer this. Next week, come and tell me. All you have to do is decide how you're going to feel tomorrow morning and pull it off. Come on, it's only about you and you're in control. We can't, we can't control our lives. So naive to think that we can, yet, yet we march on pretending we've got to take control. And yet Jesus, time and time again, shows that he's in control of everything around him. So who do you say he is? Because unless you see that he is the glorious king of creation, the one who, who deeply cares for his people, then you'll miss the wonderful security that you have in a relationship with him. I mean, who better is there to trust our lives to than this man? The one who doesn't just demonstrate that he cares deeply for his disciples as he calms the storm, but shows that he's got power to do something about it. See, without Jesus, you've only got yourself. The human race without Jesus only has itself. And frankly, history shows that we're not very good at sorting out the world. But with Jesus, well, you can say the words of Psalm 46 as your own. It starts like this. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Oh, the disciples, they're not wrong in one way to fear Jesus. Because the Bible is clear that he rules over the whole of his creation. And one day, just as the wind and the waves bow down before him, so every human being will bow down before Jesus and declare that he is Lord, either as they see the one they've trusted their life to or as they see the one they have rejected and now are terrified before him as their judge. Because what we see in Mark 4 is just a little taster of what God's final perfect kingdom is going to be like. We see God take creation and restore it to order so that human beings feel safe and secure and can enjoy it. And Jesus here is giving us what is like a trailer into the future that he's bringing about. The glorious new world where, well, storms and flooding will be a thing of the past. Oh, it's right to fear Jesus. He rules over all. Many of you will know the classic story by C.S. Lewis, The Lion, the Rich Witch, and the Wardrobe, and, and how it is an allegory for the good news about Jesus Christ. And in it, the beavers tell the children that Aslan is a lion. Aslan, the one who's the picture of the Lord Jesus. And this is the response Oh, says Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he safe? I shall feel rather nervous meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? 
Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. He cares. And he's in control. So will you trust the Lord Jesus, with whatever life throws at you, whatever storms maybe you're in the midst of now or will come to you in the future, because there's no one better equipped to deal with your fears. Because our fears primarily come from thinking that we have to sort it out, but we don't. He has. If we've only got ourselves to depend on, then we're hopeless. But with him, we can face whatever life throws at us. On, on holiday, we, we listen to CDs in the car. Do you do that? It's what you do if you're about 10 years out of date like us. Some of you are doing something with a stick or even Bluetoothing to the machine in the front. But we CD still. Occasionally, we can't listen to a CD. This is not because the machine is broken. It's because we can't agree what we're going to put into it without fighting. So what we do is we sing. And one of our favorites is, with Jesus in the boat, you can smile at the storm. Well, I'm not sure you'll be able to smile at the storm. But with Jesus in the boat, you might just be able to cope if you trust him. And there is probably no greater storm in our world at the moment than than evil, is there? That, That present real danger. So here's the second thing. If you're afraid, whatever you think, what you need to do is trust the conqueror of Satan in the face of evil. Trust the conqueror of Satan in the face of evil. In chapter 5, verse 1, Jesus goes to the Gerasenes. It's a non-Jewish, a Gentile region. He is God's savior for everyone. And initially, he meets a man who frankly seems utterly beyond rescue. Just look at these verses. Look how Mark notches up how hopeless a case this is. Look at the way he emphasizes it. Let me read them to you again. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, with no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he'd often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the arms on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. This bloke has an impure spirit. He lives in the graveyard, which is impure central, and he cannot be controlled. No one, no one, no one can control this bloke. And yet, do you see what happens when the Lord Jesus turns up? <laughs> Look what happens. It is such a stark contrast. Verse 6, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus has said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. There's the answer to the disciples' questions. Who is this man? And because the evil spirit knows who this man is, he is terrified. No one, no one, no one can control him. And yet as soon as he sees the son of God, he falls flat on his face and says, have mercy on me. So it's not a battle, is it, against evil? Jesus doesn't say, let's sing 25 songs and have an all-night prayer meeting, and I might just pull off sorting this guy out. (laughs) No, boom, straight away. Jesus is Lord in his creation, and evil is terrified of him. The man's on his face before him. (laughs) And do you know know the sad thing about us? Because we're British, we read the next few verses and we don't go, praise God for the way this man is totally freed from evil. We go, what about the pigs? 
So we all think in the ring, you go, what about the pigs? Bunch of RSPCA member British people, we care more about the pigs. It's not, it's not to tell us, did you see that? If you, you're probably all thinking about the pigs since the reading went. <laughs> Jesus sends the man into the pigs and the pigs rush down. The, the, thing, the irony is you'll go, oh dear, poor pigs. I wonder, who's a bacon sandwich tomorrow for breakfast? <laughs> 2,000 in number rush down a steep bank into the lake and drown. Did you know what that is a picture of? It's a picture of the power of evil. It's not to, not to show us Jesus' attitude to pigs. Is to show us demons' attitude to life. I don't know what you make of demons. The Bible says we have a real enemy called the devil, and he's very clever. And it appears that in Mark's gospel and in the other gospels, when, when Jesus comes up and, and he's going to defeat evil, it's like the devil gets together all the forces of evil in one last attempt to defeat God. And that's why we have all this demonic activity. Other places in the world today where we see things a little bit more like this now, but, but actually, in our culture, the devil's too clever to give us demons. just makes us worried about our stuff. He sows selfishness so deeply in our hearts that we need to be rescued from it. No, no, we're left in no doubt that the, the demons here are, are desperately evil, and Jesus is extraordinarily powerful. There was an extraordinary um, piece on Radio 4 this week. It was just a five-minute slot on the Today program in the morning. A bloke was talking about the internet, and he was saying how when the internet first came about, there was a real sense of hope, joy, that it would be a source of good in the world. You could provide information from around the world. Perhaps we'd be better at coming together to solve some of humanity's problems. Perhaps we'd look after the poor and the needy. And the bloke said the problem was we, we just hadn't realized how evil we are. And pretty quickly the internet filled up with more pornography than anything else, became a place of hatred and abuse, a place where you can organize terrorism and learn to make a bomb. And he was saying, it has to be regulated. Why? Because people, people can't be trusted. Now, don't you long for the day when evil will end? A day when you won't have to worry where you are at any time of night. A day when you'll open your news feed or, or your newspaper and there'll be no pain and tragedy. I mean, doesn't it strike you as odd? Doesn't it strike you as odd that, that we as human beings who are so wonderful at sorting out our world have so many locks in our lives, so many alarms, so many insurance policies? Whitney Houston, I was reading an article about Whitney Houston, wonderful gospel singer, died tragically aged 48. She was asked before her death about her drug use, her alcohol use, the, the problems of her life. And the interviewer asked her this, what, what, what's the biggest devil? Out of them, what's the biggest devil? Thinking, is it going to be marijuana or cocaine or heroin or the alcohol? And Whitney Houston just had a wry smile. And she said, biggest devil? That'd be me. You see, I, I read this passage and I, I think about evil in the world. And sometimes it affects me. I'm a bit scared about going to Waterloo on a Thursday morning. But I'll tell you the evil that affects me the most. That'll be me. The times we do things that we shock ourselves by. We lose our rag with the person we love. We, we seem to be possessed by an inability to control our own hearts. And yet Jesus promises to deal with evil. 
He doesn't do it fully and finally here as he speaks to this man on a beach, legion, who's so, so possessed. No, no, he does it by going to a Roman cross. You see, that's the plan the, the devil hadn't got figured. He thought he was killing the Son of God, but actually the Son of God was dying in the place of his people, taking the punishment that they deserved for the evil of their own hearts and the evil in the world. And as he did that, he broke the power of the devil in people's lives. And the result is, the Bible tells us there will be a day when Jesus returns and he will rid the world of all evil. And then those who follow him will go to be in a a place with no locks or alarms or insurance policies forevermore with him, a place where he will come and dwell with them and they will enjoy perfect lives of love with him for eternity. Uh, This man, Legion, he he just is a small taster again, like like the storm of that, that final place. He's there in his right mind. Don't you sometimes think, why did I do that? Am I nuts? I mean, why did I shout at my wife like that? Is that ever going to make anything better? I, I'm out of my mind. And Legion's there in his right mind. Look at, look at the reaction of the people from the surrounding area in verse 15. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who'd been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. See, again, if you don't see who Jesus is, he he terrifies you. Fear fear of the power. Here's a man who seems to control, and I don't want to be controlled. Fear of the cost. Here's a man who sent our village's livelihood into a lake. I don't don't want the cost. I I want to hang on to my wealth. They're, They're terrified of the consequences. And so what do they do with Jesus? They very politely say, clear off, in verse 17. In fact, they plead with him to go. There's, there's a repeated word again. Do you see the repeated word? It comes in verse 10 and verse 12 and, and verse 17. Verse 10, and he begged Jesus. The demons begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Verse 12, the demons beg Jesus. Verse 17, the people began literally to beg Jesus. They just want to get rid of him. They're terrified of him. But there is a right begging in this passage. Do you see it? It comes in verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who'd been demon-possessed begged to go with him. That's the right sort of begging. It's to see, here is Jesus, the one who cares and has the power to put me in my right mind. The one who promises me a perfect future with him in a, a glorious new world. Please, can I go with you, Jesus? Oh, what have you been telling your children about the evil of the terrorist acts? There was a thing on the BBC News, wasn't there? What to tell your children in the face of terrorism? Because we've got this deep irony where we put all this evil rubbish on the internet and then we think, oh my goodness me, our kids are seeing it. What can I tell them? What have you been telling them? What's the, what's the answer? Well, surely we've got to tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. And you might think that given the lack of popularity in the area, poor old, the man who used to be legion, would have kept his head down and kept quiet. But, but look what happens in verse 20. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. 
you see, he's not afraid that Jesus is being rejected because he knows here is the one other people need to hear of, the one who will put them in their right mind, the one who's come to rid the world of evil. So he goes and tells them. Now, fear. I don't know about you, but I think fear is more real in London this week than it's been for a very long time. Who are you going to trust personally? Day in, day out. The God who cares for you? The God who rules over the chaos of creation? The God who has defeated evil already and promises to take you to a place where there will be no evil? Are you trusting Jesus in the midst of this? Do your friends who don't know him, do they see that difference that Jesus makes? Do they see that you're a person in your right mind in a world of chaos? And what about their fear? What are you telling them to do in the face of their fear? Will you tell them all that Jesus has done for you? Because if you do, what we see at the end of verse 20, they might just be amazed. See, Jesus is the only antidote to fear. He's the only one who's shown that he controls our world and he's defeated evil. And the great news is, brothers and sisters, if you are a Christian here today, he has a handle on your life. He will not let you go. And however much you have a flap attack, like those disciples in the boat, he is taking you home to be with him. You can trust him. So let's tell others. Let's tell others how great he is. And as we do so, let's pray that they be amazed. Let's pray together.